0: So uh, my, one of my favorite comedians, Mr. Jerry Seinfeld, he was talking about fear one time and he said that the, you're talking to the average person that the number one fear of death in their life is public speaking. Okay, So I'm doing the most terrifying thing imaginable right now. You're welcome. It's a labor of love. right? He said death is number two. Number two. You get that. So he said that means that if you're at a funeral... People would prefer to be in the casket itself than up front giving the eulogy. (laughs) That's what what we're saying. And I think that'd probably hold true. If most of you, if I asked you right now, do you want to come out of your seat, come up here in my place and address the crowd, you'd say what? I'd rather die. Yeah, right, exactly. But in reality, we, we know from our own experience that death, man, this can be the most terrifying thing that we can ever think about. Job, uh, in in the book of Job, his buddy, uh, Bildad, he was talking, and and what he called death, he said death is the king of terrors, the king of terrors, that that death can be a crippling, debilitating, all-encompassing fear that plagues us. And the reality is, unless Jesus comes back, the Bible says it's appointed a man once to die. Every single one of us, we, we say, we joke, death and taxes, right? The two certain things that we all know are coming. It's often, life has often been compared to a candle, and that essentially, the moment that you light that candle, you are burning yourself out. That, that, that the moment you're born, you're actively moving toward decay and, and death. Aren't you glad you came in this morning, right? That's a pick-me-up. You could say in a world, in, in, in a world of the Game of Thrones, that death is what reigns. That it's king, that it's sovereign over everything else. Listen, you can be as crossfit as possible. You can, you can use all the essential oils that the doTERRA can provide. You can run, but you can't hide. In the end, death wins. And this is the question that, that Paul is tackling here in the second half of, of Romans. Is, uh, Romans chapter 5, he goes, why? W- why is this the case? Why does death reign? Like, what, what caused this? And we think about this. You, when someone dies, especially if they die at a young age, we say, what? They had so much life left to live. And we look at the hard questions in our life. Why do young ones, innocent babies, people with disabilities, why is, is death not just, not just frequent, but universal? What causes this? And the amazing thing we're going to find in God's word today is he's going to point us to the the deep root of where the problem of death lies to show us where the root of hope and life are. Does anybody here want to live this morning? Both right now and forever. Let's read the second half of Romans and discover where life is. So, a couple things here. The first thing we want to look at is, in Adam's fall, we sinned all. In Adam's fall, we sinned all. Say that with me. In Adam's fall, we sinned all. Good job. All right, now, the first word here. And we'll go faster than this, but we'll take one word here. The the word therefore, remember we always ask, what's the therefore? Paul, this is a capstone. He's looking back at these first five chapters, and he's kind of summing them up. Now, if you remember with me, as we've been walking through the book of Romans, the first two and a half chapters, after he introduced himself, was basically put there to say, there's nothing we can do to make ourselves right with God. We are wrong to the core. And then the next two and a half chapters, he showed that what we could never earn, God freely gave us in Jesus. And now we freely accept the righteousness of Jesus, not that we can make ourselves right before him. And now here he's going to wrap it up, and he's going to look at human history to show why this is true to kind of summarize everything he's been saying. This is, this is incredible, and it's also hard to understand. So Lord, we're praying for your wisdom as you reveal your word to us. He says here, Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man, and death through sin, and so death spread to all men because all sinned. This is a bleak picture of the human race. Now, what's he talking about? Well, a couple things. We need to look at sin and death. So we talk about death. When you, when you say to somebody, this is not a very nice thing to say to them, but you say, you're dead to me. You're dead to me. What are you saying? What are you trying to communicate to them? You're saying, I want nothing to do with you, right? It's as though you don't exist. I want no relationship, no interaction. There's a separation between you and me. In fact, that's what the word death means. It means separation. It doesn't mean something just ceases to exist. It means there's a separation between two different things. And so when sin came into the world, there was a spiritual separation that happened from between man and God. Now, why is that? Well, we know, as we read God's word, that he is holy. And this word, it means set apart, other, to be separate. Oh, no. That's awkward. Talk amongst yourselves. Um, so this part of my clicker has been dyed to that. it's just These are always examples that just flow. Man, what a, what a moment. Um, so the word death, it means separation. God is holy. He's a set apart from everything that's not, holy. So when Adam sinned and became a sinful being, he had to be separated from God, because God as holy cannot, anything that is holy, cannot have relationship with things that are not holy. So what is separated is man's spirit, and then not surprisingly, there we go, there we go, man's spirit from God's spirit. Man's spirit separated from God's spirit. So, so go back to verse 12. Here, here's what he says. Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man, talking about Adam, in the beginning, remember Adam, you go back to the garden, Adam and Eve are eating the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. God told them not to, and they ate anyways. That's disobedience. And disobedience is sin. And the consequence, he says, of that sin was death. Death through sin. Because of his sin, mankind was separated necessarily from a holy God could no longer walk with God enjoy a relationship with him now earlier this morning I went into my backyard and ripped this massive branch off a tree right? it's pretty impressive isn't it bald as the new Samson baby so I just I took this thing off and now this tree this branch is separated from its life source right this branch is no longer connected to to that tree now now you could say it's it's dead but but the, the leaves are still green right That's because I just took it off this morning. Now eventually, now that it's separated from its life source, eventually all of these leaves will wilt because they're no longer connected to to the tree. And in the same way, Adam, in, in Genesis 3, when he sinned, he was unplugged or torn away from God, his life source. And because of that, he will eventually physically die. He was spiritually, his spirit separated from God's spirit, and because of that, one day... His body, now that its life source is removed, would wilt and, and die. And we see this in, in Genesis chapter 5. It says, thus all the days that Adam lived were 930 years, and he died. His spirit was separated from his body. That's physical death. Just like this tree will eventually, these leaves will wilt, eventually our bodies die because of our spiritual separation from God. So Adam sinned, and, and then he died. That's, that's pretty straightforward, right? But now here's where it gets a little bit weirder. Look at what he says next. He says, and so death spread to all men. Death spread to all men. Now, I'm sorry, ladies. This, the, the original Greek here means men and women. This is talking about people. Okay? So we all are a part of, of this problem. Death spread to all men. And you keep reading in Genesis 5, and we see the little family tree of death right Seth died his son then Enoch his grandson died and it goes down the line everyone who was born of Adam dies who in here was born of Adam all of us right all of us experience physical death because we were born from the family tree of Adam there's only a few miraculous exceptions in human history we know Elijah was taken up to be with the Lord we think that in Genesis it's saying Enoch didn't experience physical death But everybody else, and and again, you look at my, my little branch here, my illustration, okay, so this main branch, where are all the little twigs in relation to the branch? They're connected to the branch, right? And so because the branch is separated from the tree, all the little twigs that come off of this tree are in the same position, the same situation as this branch. And because the branch is disconnected from its life source, all the twigs that come off of this branch are also disconnected. You and I, born of Adam, are born into this world, separated from God. That's what scripture tells us. Now this is where it really gets hairy. He says, death spread to all men. Why? Because all sinned. Now notice carefully, this is not the same as Romans three twenty three. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. He says here, all sinned. This is not talking about my individual sins. When I lie, when I cheat, when I punch somebody. It's not talking about my individual sins. He says, Death spread to all men because all sinned. When did they sin? What, what, what Paul is saying here is back in the garden. When Adam ate of that fruit and he was declared guilty, Genesis chapter 3 it says, I was also declared guilty. It's as though I was in the garden eating the fruit with Adam. Adam. His guilt becomes my guilt. And this is why we said at the beginning, in Adam's fall, we sinned all. Now, there are different views on this if you read different scholars. Some people believe that we're born innocent and then we choose to sin and then then we get the same condemnation Adam gets. My problem with that is that's not what I see the Bible telling me, especially in this chapter, but you go anywhere, I, I just don't see that. And especially look at verse 18. He goes on to say, therefore, as one trespass led to the condemnation for all men. One trespass, Adam's one act of disobedience, this passage says, leads to the condemnation or the guilty sentence of all men. See, when Adam sinned, and that condemnation is just a big word for, for guilty sentence. And that guilty sentence was not just placed on Adam's account, but it was placed on the account of every person that ever came from Adam. Now this is called, and this is a big fancy word, so we'll break it down and look at some analogies, but this is called federal headship which is a big Bible school bonus word, if you can say that. Um, but it just means one person representing many other people. One person representing many other people. So we see this all the time. Okay? I see this in my favorite game show, The Family Feud. Right? So what happens? You've got this family... And they're playing, and at the end, you've got two people in this case, and they get to play fast money, right? And and they get to go up representing the rest of their family. So here's this one poor lady. She's not doing well, as you can see. And and she gets to play. Now, if she loses, which she's clearly on the path of doing, if she loses, the whole family loses. They do not get the $20,000, right? But if she answers the questions and is able to get more than 200 points, the entire family celebrates, her victory becomes their victory. Her loss becomes their loss. She represents her family. So we played this giant global game of family feud. And from the Adams family, were represented Adam and Eve, right? And there was Steve Harvey back in the Garden of Eden. And he goes, name a tree that you can't eat from. And what do they say? No, we can eat from all of them. And we're going, bad answer, bad answer, right? Like, it's not, you, you, did, you blew it. And what happened was Adam, our representative, when he lost, we lost. When he died, we died. When he was declared guilty, we were declared guilty. When he sinned, we sinned. So think about this another way. My last name, Sprankino, right? It's an italiano, I'm very proud. Um, although I'm actually, my blood is 75 percent German, I don't want to talk about it. Now, how, how did I get this last name? How did I get this? I wasn't flipping through like surname digest, and I'm like, "Ooh, I like that one. I think I'll go with Frankino, right? It's easy to spell. No. <laughs> my la- is it Francino? No. Um, my, my last name has nothing to do with, I didn't choose it, right? I did not have the ability to decide, what, now I could legally change my last name if I wanted to. But, but I inherit. This name and who I am and my skin tone and my hair, I come by that honestly, right? Here's my mustachioed past, right? My, my grandfather and my father, uh, I come from them. I inherit who I am from them. I didn't have any say in the matter. Whether or not I act like a Frank I talk loud, use my hands when I talk, which I'm obviously always doing, right? I mean, I could embrace it and like open a pizzeria and just go all in with this thing. Or I could deny that I know any of them. I could try to dye my hair blonde, nothing to do with the beautiful dark hair that I got as an Italian that I shave all the time. <laughs> in the line of Frankinos, I am a Frankino. And what he's saying here is we were born in Adam. He is our Father, our forefather. And so because of that, we were born guilty sinners. Not because, not primarily, listen, not primarily because of our individual sins, but because we were born in Adam. And there's nothing that you or I can do to change that. No matter how good I act or how bad I act, the reality is I was born into this world condemned and guilty as a sinner. Think about it this way. Again, go back to the Frankino tree. Let's say that hundreds of years ago, there was this ancient Roman war, Okay, and my great-great-great-grandfather is fighting this battle. He's a good-looking soldier. And before he ever has any kids, he, lo- he dies in battle. Justin Frankino never exists, if that happens. My, the experience of his loss becomes the experience of my loss. But obviously he was victorious in battle, right? Cuz here I am today. His victory becomes my victory. In the same way Adam fought the law and the law won, right? In the garden, he lost, he died. And and all of us suffer defeat because we're born in to Adam, it's it's a it's an abstract concept. I'm trying to give some examples so we can try to wrap our mind around this. And look at what he says in verse thirteen. He says, "For sin indeed was in the world before the law was given, but sin is not counted where there is no law. Yet death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over those whose sinning was not like the transgression of Adam." There's a ton going on here. All I want to make is this point from what he's saying here. Now, if you look back at the beginning, when Adam Adam was given a very specific command, right? Do not eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. He was given one command, and he broke it. Then 2,500 years later, God gave the people of Israel 613 rules. And what did they do? Day after day after day, they broke them. But what Paul's point here, I believe, is, is that even between Adam and Moses, between these two periods of time, there were no specific rules being given to people. And yet, what do we see? Death reigns sin is in the world and people are still dying paul's point you are a sinner and you die primarily because you are in adam not because of your individual sins so it's not like you were born in this world as like this creepy little doll right you got a halo over your head and then like 18 months in you finally do something wrong you bite your sister and then boom halo's gone right no You were not born innocent. You were born like this little monster, right? You were born into the world wicked, guilty, condemned. Now, two things, two questions we might have from this. A, why do we need to know this? Why why is Paul telling us this? And B, how in the world is this fair? Because let's be honest, you're thinking that, right? How is this fair? How is this fair? This is what I get because of what Adam did. So let's tackle these two questions. First of all, we want to see the point here is that God is comparing, Paul in his writing is comparing the first Adam with Jesus, who Corinthians calls the last Adam. Comparing to what we have in Adam versus what we get in Christ. And he actually says this in verse 14. Adam, who was a type of the one who was to come. This word type, it means an example or a pattern. He says, just as in Adam... We get this in Christ. In fact, in verse 12, he says, just as. And then because Paul has spiritual ADD and is prone to run on sentences, he starts going through the weeds before he eventually gets to his point in verses 18 and 19. And this is how the New Living says it. Yes, Adam's one sin brought condemnation, guilt, for everyone. But Christ's one act of righteousness brings a right relationship with God and new life for everyone. Everyone who receives, as he says in verse 17. Because one person disobeyed God, many became sinners. But because one other person, Jesus, obeyed God, many will be made righteous. He's saying the same exact way we got guilt through Adam is how we get righteousness, perfection from Jesus. So let's answer these two questions. First of all, why is Paul telling us this? Why is this so important? Paul's point is, look. It was Adam's sin that brought your guilt on. The reason you sin is because you're a sinner. It's not that you're a sinner because you committed some sins. And the difference is everything in the world. And here's why. The solution. If the problem is what we do, it's gonna be very different the solution's gonna be very different than if the problem is what we are. And we're going to see in, in this reality that our problem is birth-based, not behavior-based. It's not the, the behavior that was primarily the original problem. It was where we were born from. Therefore, the solution must match the problem. So, for example, and I've used this many times, but you know, if you've seen me around here, if, if you're new here, just watch me walk for a little bit. And, and when I walk around, I like to waddle, right? And that's not because I'm an Italian gangster or a penguin, right? It's because I've got bad hips. Now, the, the reality is, if I had just done something pretty small, like I pulled a muscle, okay, then, then my solution could be behavior-based. I could do physical therapy. I could ice and lotion, just like my dad says. Solves everything, right? I could, I could rest. I, I could do some things and, and heal my hip. But but the reality is my hip problem is birth-based. I was born with a degenerative disease called avascular necrosis where there's no blood flowing to my hips. So what I need, and I just saw the doctor two weeks ago, he said, there's nothing we can do eventually and hopefully we can wait until you're in your 50s, but you are going to need a new hip. You need a whole new thing. You can't just clean up your act. You need something new outside of yourself if you're going to have the kind of hip that you want to have. And in the same way, The gospel is not to just quit drinking alcohol and go to church more and quit cussing and kiss your grandma once a month or FaceTime her if she's out of state, right? It's not behavior-based. The problem is much different. Because listen, the problem is not primarily what you do. It's who you are. It's that you are the wrong thing. And because you're the wrong thing, you do the wrong thing. My problem is that I was born from Adam. I was born condemned and guilty. And the solution, therefore, is not behavior-based. It's birth-based. I need a new Adam daddy. And that's exactly what we've been given in Jesus. We've been transferred from the first Adam to the last Adam. That's what we need to know. And the second thing we ask is, man, how in the world is this fair? Like, why is it, I didn't even get a choice, that I'm born guilty because I'm a random dude back in a, in a garden couldn't keep his paws off some passion fruit, and I am guilty because of that? How in the world is that fair? Well, a couple things. First thing, and Paul anticipates this, because look at what he says in verse 20. He says, now the law came in to increase trespass. The law was given, the law of Moses was given to increase trespass. The New Living helps clarify this a little bit. Because God's law was given so that all people could see how sinful they were. When God gave the law to Israel, what was he doing? He was showing the world, look, you are a sinner. when, When you're given a law, just like you know if you're a parent, you tell your kid not to do something, what do they immediately do? Exactly what you told them not to. That's our flesh. That's the way our flesh responds to law. You tell me not to do something, don't touch the paint, and all of a sudden, what do I want to do? I really want to touch that paint. We'll talk about that more in Romans 7. But his point is here, the law was revealed to show that we need to get off our spiritual high horse and realize if we'd have been in the garden, we'd have done the exact same thing as Adam. We are just as guilty as Adam. In fact, I love the way Douglas Moo says it. He says, the law came to show us that we are all little Adams. That we are all sinful lawbreakers. That we all would have done the exact same thing had we been in Adam's position. So let's give Adam a break and realize our condemnation is fair. But you want to talk about what's not fair. Several thousand years after that first Adam, when he messed it all up, there was another man who came and walked this earth. He was called the last Adam. And he walked into a garden as well. But this time, this Adam, he chose God's will, not his. He chose to do what God wanted, not what he wanted. And instead of rebellion and disobedience, he chose obedient submission, even to the point of death. And this one act, and what only God could do, Jesus as God, he, on that cross, he paid the penalty for all sins that we've committed. But we, what do we say? The problem goes deeper than that, right? It's not just the individual we sins we commit. It's that we were born into a sinful Adam. It's not just that we are the wrong thing. It's, it's not just that we do the wrong thing. It's that we are the wrong thing. And that's why the good news is he didn't stop on the cross is that three days later, he rose from the grave to a new life, a perfect life in the sight of God. And what's given to us in Christ, we are placed into our new Adam daddy. And just like we were born guilty sinners in the first Adam, we are born again, right, acceptable, and perfect in our God's sight. Not because of anything I did, but because of the one act of obedience of my last Adam. When we place our faith in Christ, our little twig, it gets grafted out of this dead branch that's disconnected from God and it gets plugged into what the Old Testament calls Jesus, the living branch. Jesus is one with God. Jesus is God. And my twig gets grafted into the living branch forever and ever. Amen. I'm declared right in God's sight because of the one act of obedience of another man. Despite all the times that I've spit in God's face, that I've disobeyed him, that I've rebelled, that I've lived for myself, that's what's not fair. Second point. Life in Christ is better than death in Adam. In every way. We skipped a couple of verses, so we'll go back to it. The two differences. The first one's a difference in degrees. Look at what he says. But the free gift is not like the trespass, much more... Or for if many died through one man's trespasses, which is another word for sin or disobedience or offense, much more have the grace of God and the free gift by the grace of that one man, Jesus Christ, abounded for many. He goes, the, the second man's one act of obedience is much greater than the first man's one act of disobedience. And here's an illustration to help with this. You think about if one person goes into the woods and with one spark lights a tree on fire. And what starts with this one little spark, with this one tree, it inflames it, it into an entire forest fire. And then someone else comes along and they put that fire out. The entire forest. What was the greater act? The one act of lighting that tree on fire or the other act of putting the entire forest out? Adam lit the world on fire with his sin. But Jesus Christ came and extinguished the entire flame. And that's what he compares here in verse 16 the one sin versus many sins. He says the free gift is not like the results of that one man's sin, for the, for the judgment following one trespass brought condemnation. Adam's one sin sparking at the tree, but the free gift following many trespasses brings justification. So we all became guilty because of Adam's one act of disobedience, but we all get declared right. We are all given victory over death, life in Jesus, for the billions upon billions of offenses that were committed in Jesus. Jesus is better than Adam. And he says in verse 20, But where sin increased, grace abounded all the more. And what a hope to anchor into. I mean, you think about human history and all how rampant sin has been and to know that the unbreakable thread of grace has been woven through human history. That God's grace showed up when when he was going to destroy a world through a flood and preserved Adam, or excuse me, preserved Noah for his glory. And you go through human history, all the wars, all the genocides, all the things that sin and death have wrought, God's grace is abounding even more. Not just the difference in degrees, but there's a difference in results. Verse 17, For if because of one man's trespass, death reigned through that one man, much more, there it is again, will those who receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ. And he sums it up at the end of the chapter, so that as death reigned in, in, sin reigned in death, grace also might reign through righteousness leading to eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Here, here's what he's saying. That in Adam... Death reigns. And we can all see that, right? We go to our cemeteries. And I'll tell you what, man, this has been a a tough stretch for us here at Peninsula Grace. And death has touched us very close to home many times this year. Death is real. Death is powerful. But what he says here, as much as death reigns in Adam, how much more in Christ does his grace reign? Death does not have the final word. And not only does he say here that, that, that grace reigns, he said actually we reign with Christ. Do you catch that? Second Timothy, he says it this way, the saying is trustworthy, for if we've died with him, we'll also live with him. We'll talk about that next week. If we endure, we will also reign with him. That Jesus conquered sin and death, and in Christ, we actually get to rule and reign with him for how long? Verse 21 says, eternal life. You want some security. You get eternal life. that You will live forever. He's conquered death. Death has an end game. His life in grace, reigning with Jesus, that has no expiration date. So, we think of like, like little, like little Nemo's little buddies here. Uh, now what? What do we do? Now that we're in Christ, where do we go from here? What do we do with this? I mean, this has been a lot of abstract kind of theology, right? Well, how do we take this into where we live? What do we do with this? How do we take this home? How do we do this Monday morning? Well, A couple things. Um, I love, as a, as a teacher over the years, I've occasionally passed out these, these surveys or these questionnaires. And uh, one of my favorite questions to, to ask somebody in a, some kind of a Bible class or something, I'll ask this question. If you died today and you stood before God's throne and he asked, why should I let you into my presence? What would you say to him? In other words, why am I saved? Why am I acceptable in, my, in your sight? Why should I get to live with you forever? Now, what has always, and I'll tell you, this is a scary, a scary thing when you receive these questionnaires back sometimes. I, I taught at Cook Inlet for a year, a Christian high school for a number of years, junior high, uh, here with the youth group at the church, even some adults here at the church, and I pass these out. And here are people who were raised in Christian homes, in Christian environments, right? The first day home from the hospital, they're placed into a crib, and they get a bottle and a New Testament pocket version, right? <laughs> I'm sleeping with a VeggieTales doll since night one, right? They're just raised with Jesus, right? But I get these answers back to answer this question. Things like, well, I've tried really hard to follow God. That I've tried to, to love him and, and love people like he asked me to. I read my Bible as, as much as I can, and it's always probably not as much as I should. I go to church. I, I pray. Now, to those answers, do they give you any hope? Is that the gospel that we've seen this morning? Does it mention anything about being placed into Christ, what, what Jesus did on our behalf? And, brothers and sisters, until we completely despair of our own efforts and attempts at being good and acting good in order for God to accept us. And until we understand the depth of our hopelessness and, and complete condemnation in Adam and completely trust Christ's one act of obedience on our behalf as our basis of acceptance before God, I do not believe we have passed from death to life. And I believe he will say to us, return to sender. I never knew you. What you believe about the gospel affects every area of your life. And if you're trying to make your acceptance before God behavior-based, it leads to legalism. We're just trying to earn God's favor through your actions. And we've tried that, right? We've walked that road. Failed attempt after a failed attempt. And when you've committed that sin for the 100th time, and you come before God and say, I promise you that's it. I promise you I won't do it anymore. And what do you do the very next day? You go right back to it. And it's exhausting and it's defeating to try to earn God's approval through your own behavior. To try to validate yourself before other people and before your God based on what you do. Problem's not what we do. Problem is not behavior-based, it's birth-based. When I see at my core that I need to become something new, and I realized I don't have the ability to do that. Just like none of us today have an ability to be born again physically, none of us can do anything to be born of a new Adam, to be born again spiritually. And that's why Corinthians tells us the beautiful news that what we couldn't do, God did. He says God has united you with Christ Jesus. Not you united you, not your awesomeness, not your works, not how often you went to church and prayed and read your Bible and were nice to people, but God did it. The ESV says because of him you're in Christ Jesus. Because of him you're in Christ Jesus. It was God's doing. Now I'm making babies cry. Christ Christ made us right with God. Christ made us pure and holy. Christ freed us from sin. What I could never do, Jesus did for me. And now that I'm in him, I'm accepted. We live in a culture that says, I identify as this and I identify as that. And just because we declare that we're something doesn't make it true. God is the one that tells us what's true of us. And I can't say, well, I identify as a good person. doesn't work. I identify as righteous. I identify as an acceptable person in God's eyes. Only God can change my identity. So, so my answer, if, if I'm asking this, if I'm asked this question, and, and we all will stand before the judgment seat one day, and God says, why should I let you into my presence forever? To know me and to walk with me and become like me? I've only got One answer. I'm throwing all the chips in the middle of the table on this answer, and I've got three words. It'd be this I'm with him, I'm with Jesus. And I, I don't deserve to be in your presence. I've done nothing to garner your favor and your acceptance, but you set your son to die for my sins to pay the penalty, to conquer sin and death for me, and now you've removed me from the old Adam, the kingdom of darkness, and placed me in Jesus in the kingdom of light. And because you accept Jesus, you accept me. That's what it means to enter into his throne room with boldness, not on base of my own merit, but on the grace of Jesus. And next week, oh baby, we're gonna talk about Romans 6. Now that we're in Christ, in the last Adam. Romans 6 is going to show us we're not only freed from the penalty of sin, that we'll be accepted in God's sight. He's going to tell us how we experience freedom from the power of sin today. Is anybody in here sick and tired of some of the sins that have you in complete bondage today? The truths of next week will tell us how Jesus has shattered those chains. Let's pray. Father, man, we know we need to preach this message to each other over and over again because our hearts are prone to wander prone to slip back into that mentality that that we've got to do something to please you. We've got to do something to to garner your favor. Father, I pray for those in this room that don't know Jesus as their Savior, that they would despair of all their own efforts, that you would give them the grace to see the depths of their own despair and hopelessness and guilt in Adam, and then the grace to have open eyes to see the all-sufficient work of Jesus on the cross, and that we can be placed in him, and that now, in Christ, just like we bear sinful fruit in Adam, that we can bear peaceable fruit of righteousness in Jesus. That we can become, we don't just become something new, but we start to do new things, that we can live a new life that you've called us to. And Father, the good work you've given us to go and preach this gospel to our friends and family, to this community, to this world, it's not in vain. This is not a hopeless venture. That your word is going out, and as people hear of this Jesus, that the word will not return void. Give us boldness to believe this gospel and to preach this gospel, that Jesus would be lifted high. It's only in him that we're accepted. It's only in him that we can experience life. Lord, death is a terrifying thing. And we know we're all facing it until you come back. But we choose today, by your grace, to believe the gospel that you've conquered death and that we can experience eternal life in Jesus today and forever. It's in his victorious all-sufficient name that we pray. Amen.